The text for this morning will be found in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. We're going to read in verse 22 down through the end of the book of Genesis and into the book of Exodus uh, through chapter 1 and verse 12. So just a bit of reading, not that much actually, but uh, um, give us the full kind of context for the things that we'll be talking about this morning. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 22. Genesis 50 and 22, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he sware unto Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. And Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Exodus chapter 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, The people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Let's pray. Father, I ask your blessing now on this message as we come to this time of of hearing and listening and seeking in your word. I pray that you would lay aside the cares that might be on our hearts just now, that we would fully give those over to you, surrender those to you as you would take care of the the things that are going on in our life. Lord, I I pray that now you would give us open ears and open hearts to the truths in this word and that we might leave from here refreshed and strengthened as that is a work that only your spirit can do. I ask now that you would move among us mightily, that you would give me the words to say and only the words that you want said. We give you glory for all that you will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. So we're returning today to our beginnings series. It's been a while since we've been here, I think a couple months. Um, And it's been sort of a, it's supposed to be sort of a bird's eye view of the Old Testament. Although I must confess the bird's not really flying that high. We, We seem to be touching down a little bit more often than I thought we would be, but hey, that's fine. Um... All of what we see here in the Old Testament is a foundation for the New Testament. This isn't something to be discarded or it's like the other half of the Bible that really doesn't matter to me. No, it matters. It's a foundation on which we stand in the New Testament. And all of it speaks with vivid examples of what we face today. You want to know how to face something? Chances are it's in the Old Testament and it tells you either what to do or what not to do. It's just the matter of us looking for it. And if we will simply listen, we'll find instruction. We'll see types. We'll see teaching there if we will look and listen. I, you know, you talk to some people, they talk about reading the Bible or reading the Old Testament. You say it's boring. I've never understood that. The Old Testament is not boring. It's action-packed, actually. If you want something to twist up your mind, read the book of Judges and try to make sense of that. It is not boring. It's not dull, actually. It's life, raw, there for you to see it, mistakes and 
um, achievements and all of it there together if we would simply look. So that's the purpose of the beginnings series, to, to take a look at some of these things. Because these things have a purpose. They're here to teach us. Paul says they're written for our learning and to give us hope. Well, it's good that we spend time there. And another thing I see in the Old Testament is God working in great ways, which He can still do today if we would simply have maybe a little faith and not cut Him short. So before we transition into the book of Exodus, which is probably one of the greatest books, I think, in the Old Testament, of what it speaks and what it points to. Before we transition there, there's something here in the end of Genesis that caught my attention. I don't know if you ever have that happen when you're reading the Bible. Maybe you're doing your daily reading or even for for studying, and something just kind of pops out at you and grabs your attention. This is what happened with me, and it's been kind of stuck in my head this whole past week as I thought about it and studied it. And Sometimes we pass over these things without giving them much thought, and I think it's good maybe sometimes we spend time with them. So I believe that this will speak to us today. Not that the Bible doesn't. All the Bible does speak to us, but maybe a little bit more to us in this time for sure. So last time we were in this series, we closed out Joseph's life almost. We spent actually four or five weeks with him um, straight because I believe he's that important. One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible, one of the most impacting stories of the Bible is Joseph's story. What a faithful man. From start to finish, what a faithful, righteous, godly man. No matter where he finds himself, Joseph is faithful. And Joseph is blessed because of his faithfulness. As was mentioned uh, this morning in, in class, I don't know what I would be able to if I would be able to handle it the way Joseph did with all the things that came up in his life. But yet, he did, didn't he? He's an example, and we do well to imitate Joseph. One of those powerful, moving stories of the Bible. From the moment we see him in Scripture, he's faithful. One of those very rare people in Scripture of which no specific sin is recorded. Him and Daniel, it's a very select few. Job, because he's a faithful man, we do well to imitate. So even, not only in his life and the events that he faced in his life, there's something that happens in his death that still speaks to us, okay? He lives 110 years. That's what it says in verse 22, right? Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. That's pretty old. Certainly by today's standards, but even by this time in history where lifespans have begun to shorten significantly after the flood, um, he lives to be a ripe old age. And he sees his great-great-grandchildren. Ephraim's his son, Joseph, verse 23, saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. So Ephraim's children's children, if I counted right, hopefully. Maybe there's another one in there, and he sees his great-great-great-grandchildren, but he sees much of his family and also of his other son as well. You ever spend time listening to your grandpa's stories? My grandpa could tell stories <laughs> all day long. I think my, my great-grandpa, if I get it right, my great-grandpa was a gambler who lost his eye in a knife fight. So he had one eye missing. And Grandpa tells a story about that and all the, all the things that he saw as a kid growing up and going through the Depression, going through uh, world wars. Um, it's fascinating, the, the life that he's lived and to hear that. Now, can you imagine the stories Joseph could tell his great-great-grandchildren? You did what? You went where? You were in Egypt? And how did, how did we get here? And all the stories that Joseph could tell... Oh, I bet they, uh, they love to hear him. He is blessed because of his faithfulness with a, with a very long life and, and gets to see his great-great-grandchildren. And as, as it goes with all of us, his time comes. Look in verse 24. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. <laughs> well, that's one way to put it. Not, uh, hey, my time has come. I die. I guess if you're confident in where you're going, that's what you say, right? Hey, my time's done here. It's done. I'm, 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 I'm moving on. 
And with the close of this faithful man's earthly life, I want you to notice two things. First, I want to kind of zoom back out from Joseph and look at the end of uh, chapter 50. And I want you to notice first the coffin. Look at the last verse of Genesis. And so Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. Nothing strange about that. He is an Egyptian. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That last statement kind of should grab you. A coffin in Egypt. The book of beginnings ends with death. What a contrast to the way it started. How did Genesis start? God, creation, right? All of this life coming to be by God's very word. God said light, light was. God said separate, light and darkness, it happened. Earth, land, animals, all of that from His very word. All of these things being created. Add to that man and perfection and communion. Man and God in perfect harmony in the Garden of Eden. Genesis starts with man and God in perfect harmony in the Garden of Eden. Keep that in mind. That must have been unimaginable tranquility. You think this earth is beautiful? It's nothing like it was. Eden would probably cause us to weep as we saw its beauty. Such tranquility, such peace, such scenery, not to mention the fellowship that man had with God. They would walk together in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. Man and God in perfection. Yet, by the end of this book of beginnings, we have death in Egypt. Man and God in the garden. Man in a coffin in Egypt. Well, how can that be? How can something that starts off so well end so poorly? Well, Genesis is the book that tells us why things are the way they are. It encompasses the whole story. It tells us the reasons for why everything is the way that it is. Genesis tells us how God had a perfect plan for humanity and how sin completely wrecked that. If you want to know why we are separated from God, if you want to know why there's pain and suffering, if you want to know why the, way, why the world is the way that it is, Genesis tells us so. Man is not perfect. We are depraved. We are sinful. We have made our choice and we are living out the consequences of that choice. It is not very far into the book of Egypt, that, or excuse me, the book of Genesis that we have murder. It is not very far into the book of Genesis that we have so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so and he died and he died and he died. It's sin working out in the creation. Genesis is a perfect illustration of what sin does. You know what happens in Genesis? We go from life to death. We go from Eden to Egypt. From the garden to a coffin. In fact, I don't think there's any other book in the Bible that shows such the contrast between perfection and sin than Genesis does. And it shows us with such striking clarity. Think back to all that we've covered. Now listen, that might be a little hard. You thought I took a long time, two years in Ephesians, right? Technically, this study is going on four. <laughs> it's taken me four years to get through one book. Um, but hey. Some things are worth the wait, I guess, and, and worth spending time on. Think back to all that we've looked at. The fall. The fall compared with creation. Cain and Abel. He murders his brother. That is Adam and Eve's sons. One half step, if you would, away from perfection. Human beings who were created perfection were created perfectly, and their offspring murders each other. Or think about Noah and the flood and all that happened there. The Tower of Babel and how man, after, shortly after all this judgment from God, seeks to elevate himself. 
You even see it in the stories of the three patriarchs. Yes, they were faithful. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They did great things, but they had great failures too, didn't they? Genesis shows us the power of sin to separate us from God. And why we still choose it is beyond my thought process. We know better. It's like we know Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, yeah, we know that. We quote it. But do we really believe it fully sometimes? Because the choices you and I make are rather foolish, aren't they? We know if I do this, it's wrong and it's going to bring consequences, but yet we still choose it. You think after we read a book of 50 chapters of, of God showing us plainly what happens when we sin, we would try to choose it a little less often than we do, but... We still do, don't we? Sin takes us away from God, and sin brings us death in this world. And that's why each and every one of us needs a Savior. That's why each and every one of us needs grace every day that we're alive. In fact, you know what? Genesis shows us not only our sin and what it does, but it also shows us the greatest hope that we have. Turn back to chapter 3. I want to show you some of the the seeds of the gospel there early in the book. Verses that bring us hope. Genesis 3 and verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? What do you mean? That's hope? What kind of hope does it have for me? God didn't have to call him. But he did. God didn't have to seek after his creation who has now fallen. But he does, doesn't he? Adam, where are you? He could have come in a cloud of fire and a whirlwind and all that God can do and said, what did you do? But he doesn't, does he? He comes walking as at other times and he calls with that soft, sweet, gentle voice, Adam, where are you? That's grace. It's grace when God comes calling us. It's grace when God draws us. No man cometh unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. God doesn't have to draw, but He does, doesn't He? He doesn't have to illumine us to sin. He doesn't have to call us out, but that is an act of love. That is an act of grace and mercy that He does. And there's a seed right there in the book of Genesis. Adam, where are you? Look in verse 15. You know this one. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise thy heel. This is the curse pronounced upon Satan. Speaking of Christ, who was and will only ever be the seed of a woman. Women don't have seed unless it's a virgin birth. He is the one who will deliver and did deliver the death blow to Satan on the cross. This is a form of the gospel in the early narrative of the Bible. And look in verse 21. And Adam also said to his wife, excuse me, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. See, they had already tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves and it didn't work, right? They felt ashamed. They knew it was not the proper covering, but God provides the covering. Again, a seed of the gospel. Even there in verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, he is blocked from the garden. God doesn't want us to continue in this sinful, broken state from him forever. And that's why we need the gospel here and now before we go to meet Him. All of that is in Genesis. Genesis tells us why. It is the book of beginnings. And it is also a book that sheds light on our, on our state. It's a book that tells us God has intervened. And there in those early moments that we just read, redemption's plan begins to unfold. And that redemption continues to unfold throughout the pages of Scripture. It's foreshadowed in types here. It's fulfilled unmistakably in Christ. That redemption is our only hope. And Genesis tells us so. 
Christ has undone sin at the cross. He alone is the one that offers reconciliation with God. He is the only one that offers us an eternity of reunion and peace and a restoration to all that we had in the garden. His blood was shed to purchase your salvation if you would believe. And Genesis speaks to that on every page. So was it God's plan for it to get that messed up? Because it's pretty messed up. From the garden to a coffin? Eden to Egypt? Was that His original intention when He created everything? Well, it was and it wasn't. See, God intended perfection. He intended total communion with His creation. He intended to fellowship with us. That's what we're created for. We're created to know God, to fellowship with Him. And that fellowship is what He reconciles us back to uh, through the cross and through the church and a fellowship that He's working towards, a fellowship that we messed up with sin. But He also knew all that would happen. And through our sin, He has done the amazing work of redemption. And that work of redemption is exactly what He's about to do in Exodus. I want you to see, secondly, the thing that I see here in the Scripture is the comment by Joseph. Back to Genesis chapter 50, if you've turned. Back to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24. Notice what Joseph says. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. You're going to carry me out of here, because God is going to visit you. Because He's going to keep His promises. You see that? God will visit you, bring you out of this land to the promised land. God's going to keep His promise. This is, this is not my final resting place. This is not the end all be all. God has promised more than Egypt. So remember that. He makes him swear an oath. You remember And you carry me up because it's going to happen. You hold to those promises. God will perform what He has promised. Joseph held to those promises that were told to him. You know, the Bible is a covenant book. And it it is to Joseph's family, namely his father and grandfather and great grandfather, that verbal covenants were given and affirmed. There was a covenant made with Adam and given to Adam. There was a covenant made with Noah. But the the covenant which uh, we serve under, the covenant which covers Scripture is called the Abrahamic covenant. Follow me, be faithful to me, I will bless you and I will multiply you. That is given directly from God to Abraham. It is given directly from God to Isaac. It is given directly from God to Jacob. These covenants, these promises were passed down to Joseph, told to him. He heard them. You know what? He holds to them. And he says, you remember what God has said. I think maybe they needed the reminder. Maybe they had gotten a little too comfortable in Egypt. After all, they were living pretty good. It was probably pretty nice. They had their own little section, the land of Goshen. Plenty of food, right? That's why they came to Egypt, because of Joseph. They had plenty of food. They were favored by Pharaoh. In fact, Pharaoh says, hey, you move your family in, whatever they need, I'll provide for it. Whatever they want, I'll take care of it. In fact, you guys can have this section here. It's a good land. You got it. It's yours. Favored by Pharaoh. They had it pretty good. Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. The whole family is here. 
Verse 5, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Sounds pretty good to me. But it was Egypt. You understand? It was Egypt. This was not the promised land. They probably liked it. They probably were comfortable. They probably enjoyed it. It was not the promised land. Oh, surely God had provided through it, yes. God God had preserved His people in it. He had sheltered and protected them in it. But Joseph was right. Egypt was not the promised land. There was so much more waiting for them. And may I say this morning... The promised land is not planet earth. The promised land is not America. Or California or SoCal or any other state. Listen, I've camped a lot of places and there are places I can see myself living perfectly content in. None of it's home. None of it. God has provided greatly in this world for us, yes. He has been abundantly gracious. We live good, grace-filled lives here in this earth. In many ways, this land has been a blessing just as Egypt was to them. We have precious freedoms here. And I think we ought to count them as precious and we ought to Be thankful for them. But mark well the words of Joseph. God will visit you and you will carry me up from out of here. This is not my home. This is not my final destination. God is going to make good on some promises. And has He not promised us a new heaven and a new earth? where there is no sin, where there is no pain, and everything is perfect. That's the home that I'm waiting for, not here. And it may just take us getting uncomfortable here first for that to be a reality in our own hearts. Because it had to happen with them too. Look in Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. There arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, basically to paraphrase it, look how many of them are there are. What happens if they rise up? They could take over the land, they could leave, and there's income and there's population gone. Verse 11, Therefore did they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built, that's Israel, They built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. Things had to get uncomfortable. Things changed rapidly for Israel. Within just a few generations, Israel goes from being a royal and respected family to being slaves. If you would have asked Joseph, if you would have asked Ephraim and Manasseh, his children... That would have been unthinkable. What are you talking about? This is the prime minister's family. These are his people. They're blessed by Pharaoh. But that was one generation who knew it. And what is precious and sacred to one generation might not be so with the next. And all it takes is a failure to pass down the why... And soon, nobody cares about the what or the who. Do you understand? There are people, kids, who deny that the Holocaust ever happened. They say it's made up. It's a conspiracy theory. And that's a failure on maybe my generation's part to pass down history and what has happened. This is why racism is so disgusting. 
This is why some of these ideas that people want to banter around and hold to, this is why it's disgusting. Look what happened here. Look how many lives were lost, not only at the hand of Hitler and the Nazi regime, but those who fought to secure our freedom. A generation that lived it that is quickly passing away, and soon they will be gone. And if things aren't held to, the why of why the war was fought is forgotten. And then soon nobody cares about the what or the who or the why anymore. And so it happens with biblical principles. Not only within the church, but even within this own land. There is a generation and generations that have come before that understood the freedoms that we have. The values that we were founded on. And if those things are not passed down from generation to generation, the new ones, which are coming up, don't give a rip about religious freedom. You know what they care? How to get free stuff. Give me more money that I don't have to work for. And they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand what's being taken away. That stuff's boring. It makes them go to sleep. It makes them think of other things. Now nah, I want what's about me. In just a few short generations, Israel went from being blessed to being slaves. And it changed rapidly. And don't think God didn't know. There was a change in leadership that brought this about, right? There arose a new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Well, Romans 13.1 says, There is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. God knew, God allowed this to happen, and behind the scenes, He was working and is working. Because things are change, times are changing rapidly in our own day, aren't they? Laws are being passed that are unthinkable. Laws are being passed that are absurd, that are disgusting. Gay marriage is legal. Never thought I'd live to see that day. It's legal to get high now. And you know what people do? They rejoice. Yay! Unbelievable. Women, mothers, are fighting for the right to kill their own children. And the land is bending to make it so. These things are absurd. These things are disgusting. And it's from leadership that clearly does not respect biblical values. Values that once ruled the land. Values that this country was founded on. Yes, there was a time even when Christianity, at least in the broadest sense, was accepted. It was even assumed. That's just what you did. You believed in God. You worshipped Him in some form. I'm not saying all those forms were right, but it was something that was intrinsic in the, in the nation. That's what you did. And it was respected. And yes, that was definitely a blessing like no other time and no other place ever. But it's ending. You understand that? It's ending. This is no longer a Christian nation. It was. For many years. But it, was ra it is rapidly ending. Now we enjoy its good thing and we have enjoyed its good things it has given us and we do still and I would say stand up for them and vote and maybe we ought to be a little bit more outspoken on some of the, the things that are happening. I'm not saying we sit back. But I fear that time of blessing, the times of good and the times of peace that we have enjoyed have done some damage. As in, maybe we've gotten too comfortable here. We've come to expect to be accepted. We expect to be respected. I'm the normal one. You're not. How can you pass a law? Don't you understand who I am? Don't you understand who we are? And when that doesn't happen, and when we do get kicked back, we wonder, what is going on? What is wrong with everybody? What's going on is normal. 
We are not normal. You understand that? You are not of this world. I have chosen you out of this world. There's nothing going on but the world and man's sin and man's depravity doing what it does best. It just took a little longer here. In fact, this is what we should expect. We should expect absurd, disgusting things to happen. That's what sin does, doesn't it? And as it does happen, maybe we, ought, ought, maybe we shouldn't be so shaken up about it. As if our whole world is coming down. This world is not my home. It's not. God will visit us and He will bring us out. That's what Joseph says to the promised land. And the same stands true for us. My home is waiting. And soon, either I'll go to Him or He'll come for me and I will be there finally. But let me just address what might be in some mind, some people's minds. I really like it down here. What's so wrong with it? I mean, so some laws. Just let them do what they're going to do. It's fine. Why do we got to bother them? I mean, there's so much to do here. There's so much to get. So much to buy. So much money to make. So much things to feel. I really like it here. In heaven, I mean, what are we going to do forever? Forever is a really long time. Just us and God, that kind of sounds boring if I'm speaking frankly what is in some people's minds at times. What about my cell phone? Am I going to have that? I mean, forever and ever and ever and ever? Ah. Oh. People think about heaven that way. I've gotten too comfortable here. If heaven sounds boring, maybe you ought to hit your knees and ask the Lord for perspective. Maybe we need some fresh perspective. Maybe today what the church needs is a bit of shaking up. To see this world is not our home. Heaven is. And in fact, the more that we experience things in this world like pain and suffering, but also the hatred that is in the world directed towards God and His people, the more that we experience that, the more that we walk through this life, the sweeter heaven becomes. You'll notice at the first, they weren't crying out for mercy. In fact, it's recorded that they build a couple cities, and it's not until well until chapter 2, until things start to get really hard, that their cry comes up. Maybe it's going to take us to face some things before our hearts truly start to turn homeward. Israel faced persecution. They came under the persecution of the world. Just as the fathers and mothers of our faith have for thousands of years. We think we're special. People have bought our faith with their blood. Not just Christ, but men and women that died for the things that we believe. That's normal. And you know what? We may face some of those th- some things as we come closer to the end of all time. We might face persecution, but let, let me make it clear that it, the persecution that Israel faced was setting up God to work in an amazing, mind-blowing, awesome way as He brought the plagues, as He delivered them from Egypt. The persecution was a setup for that. It was He who would deliver them. It was He who would part the Red Sea. It was He who would lead them straight on from Egypt to the Promised Land. And beloved, He will do the same for us. There is a promised land waiting for us. A place of perfect peace. A place of perfect rest. 
where we will be with Him forever in a new creation. If you can even imagine how beautiful Eden must have been, this new heaven, this new earth will be better. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain, no more loss. Just Him and our loved ones who have gone before us in the Lord together forever. That is our hope. That is our reality. And yes, things may get a little hard here. Which we know none of. Let me just say that. We know zero of it. The traffic with the blocked off streets is probably the hardest persecution you and I have ever faced. That's how foolish it is. We know none of it. But... If things do progress as they will progress in the Scriptures, and if we are here to see it, that promise makes home so much sweeter. It makes the persecution bearable. If we have the attitude of Joseph, don't you forget the promise. God's going to visit us, and He will carry me up from here. We have wonderful promises like things that Jesus said to us. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And the whither I go, where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. Aren't those beautiful words of Scripture? I'm going to prepare a place and I'm coming back to get you so you can be with me forever. Things that we read of in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, those aren't false, they're not fantasy, they're a promise that God will keep. The curse will be gone. A new heaven and a new earth to be with Him in His presence, living a life that we can't even imagine forever. That should give us hope that if God is going to keep His promise, then He will keep me for His promise. Listen, even though they are under persecution, what does verse 12 say? The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. That has been the case across all time. The more persecution is poured on the church, the larger the church grows. Because we have a different perspective. We have a different hope. This world's not my home. You can do what you want to me. The gospel still is the gospel. Jesus still saves souls. And you can take my life here. It just gets me home quicker. This hope sustains us. It motivates us. It keeps us going just as it did for Israel. Listen what... um, Well, before we get there know that this is a blessing of God through trials. The trial was upon Him. God blessed them. A trial that He allowed, a trial He delivered them from, He also blessed them in. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what that means? There is heaven and inheritance waiting for us. God will keep us by His power until we get there. That's a promise. That's hope. God will keep me through the trials that come. Wherein greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, 
whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's in the trial. Peter is writing to people in the trial. He says, though you don't see him, you love him and you rejoice in him with joy unspeakable and full of glory in the trials of this life. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's the promises that we have. That's the power that keeps us to that day. The same hope that Joseph had. God will visit you and you will carry me up. God will keep His promise. I know without a doubt because of who God is, I will go to heaven when I die. Because He told me, if I call upon the Lord, believe in my heart, confess with my mouth, that I am saved. And I have done that. And now my eternity lies with Him. You cannot see the kingdom unless you be born again. Well, I have, so then I see the kingdom. It's a promise that waits for me. That if I live faithful to Him, He will reward me. If I live through tribulation, He will hold me fast and give me the rewards that await me because He has promised so in Scripture. That's a promise that carries me through this life. Now listen, I love the life that God has blessed me with. Don't get me wrong. Life is good because of God. I love my family. I love this church. I love the things that I get to see and do. They're they're blessings. They are blessings from God. But there is a longing down deep within my very soul to be home. To be with Him. I want to see Jesus. I want to see God. I want to finally bow at His feet and say thank you for all that you've done. I don't want that separation anymore. Though I I try to search the Scriptures and I try to pray so hard and yes, the Holy Spirit is there moving in my heart and filling me and and I commune with Him. I, I want that veil of sin, the veil of this flesh. I want it gone. And I want to see Him face to face in glory. I want to be in that place where everything is done and all the relationships in my life will be on a level that I can't even imagine. Where the creation is so beautiful, anything in this world pales in comparison to it. Where life will be what God intended it from the beginning. (laughs) You think heaven's all clouds and harps? You're dead wrong. So very, very much more. That's the hope and the promise that I have. And so the question is, what about you? Can you say what Joseph says? Don't forget what God has promised. Carry me up because I'm going there. Are you holding to His promise or maybe are you holding on to dear life for what you have here? With an attitude of Please don't make me leave. Maybe it's time we need to repent and allow God to speak to our heart just what heaven is all about. Just what those promises are. Of course, I must say that none of these promises are yours if you do not know Christ as Savior. There is no peace that waits. The only visitation you get from God is judgment and condemnation in hell forever. Forever and ever and ever. An eternity of judgment. What you need to know is that Jesus died to save you from all of that if you would trust Him by faith. That God promises if you place your faith in Him, He will save you, cause you to be born again and eternally bound for heaven. That's what you need to know. To live by faith for Him as part of His body, holding on to all of these precious things that He has given to us. I pray that you have that hope this morning. I pray that you are ready for when all of this comes true. Do you understand? 
out of all the billions and billions and billions of saints that have come, all those who have lived and died, you and I just might be the ones to see with our physical eyes Christ descending from the clouds. To hear with our physical ears the last trump. To feel our feet lift off the ground as we are called up to be with Him forever. It could be us. That's a great promise. To see revelation come true. It could be us. We are living in times like that. I hope that brings hope to your soul. In the times when we find ourselves in Egypt, surrounded by coffins, to know there's a promised land waiting. So I would urge you to hold on to those promises this morning. God will visit us. He will. This world is not our home. Heaven is, and He will come to take us there. And even though things may get hard down here, with all the pain, with all the suffering, never forget that God will keep His promises. Are you holding on to that today? Let's pray. Father, I ask Your blessing on these words that have been spoken, the truths that are in Scripture, that You would solidify and cause us to be hopeful in the promises that You have given to us for eternity, Lord that we would strive to live for You even through persecution, that we would strive to be faithful to You in all that You have commanded us, ever looking and ever hoping in, in Your return, Lord, to see You and to be with You forever. I pray if there's one here who does not know You, Lord, that You would draw them to Yourself, they might look to Christ and be saved. Lord, those of us who are part of Your body, that You would strengthen us, help us, when times get tough, when times get distracting, Lord, and even things coming that we might face um, as far as persecution and this world's hatred, Lord, that You would strengthen us, help this hope to burn brightly within our hearts and within our spirit, Lord. Keep us for that day when You come and help us to be longing and hoping for it. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.